0: Welcome in, uh, to the Wednesday Bible study. Thank you for joining us. However, you are getting the Bible study today, uh, whether you're watching it live right now on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel or, or maybe you, uh, are listening to an archive, uh, on our podcast channel, uh, or maybe you're uh, watching an archive here on the YouTube channel. However, you are here with us today. We are thankful that you are here. We're going to continue, uh, the study. If you're new, let's say you're new to this. My name's Rick Burgess. Uh, I am the director of the manchurch.com and co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show, which is why you find us here in this studio. Uh, and We have been doing a Wednesday Bible study uh, here on the YouTube channel uh, and in this room uh, for several years, Uh, six years we've been in here. Uh, Most of those six years can be found at BurgessMinistries.com by clicking on Listen. Uh, We did not archive every Bible study from the beginning, but a majority of them are found there. Uh, you can go back through uh, many. Uh, we did a lot. We do expository walks through the Bible word for word on, on different books of the Bible. Like what we're doing now, sometimes we get into some commentaries and books that people have written on topics. Sometimes we have a standalone Bible study on a, on a specific topic. So uh, there is mountains of content available to you if you ever want to go back and pick up things you've missed in this series or any series from years past. You can always find them there. A couple of things I want to make you aware of, uh, speaking of themanchurch.com, and I know there's women that join this Wednesday Bible study to now, now, but it started uh, foundationally as a men's Bible study. And at themanchurch.com, we are a hub uh, to provide resources for men's ministry. We have curriculums. Uh, we, we have events. Uh, we, we, uh, we also have individual resources for individual men that may want to start their own small groups. They might want to disciple their, their sons. Uh, or, or maybe they just want to do this individually. Uh, one of those, uh, uh, the latter, what I'm speaking about, the individual resources, is a series that we called How to Be a Man. Uh, these started out as one uh, 40-day devotional on the pursuit of Christ-centered masculinity. It takes eight concepts of the Bible and, uh, and the teachings of Jesus or the person of Jesus that we as men should look to as the perfect example of how to be a man. We did a second one called Real Men of the Bible. Same concept, same structure but eight men of the Bible that you do over 40 days. Our latest one just came out, and it will complete uh, the trilogy of the How to Be a Man devotional series, and this is discovering what it means to be a disciple. We have eight different authors. Each author takes um, a five-day subject, and it talks about eight different concepts that are found in a disciple and what discipleship actually looks like. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And we unpack that. This is available now at themanchurch.com. Uh, go there. You can find this or any of our resources available there. A couple things coming up. Boy, there's a lot coming uh, down the pike. A lot of churches, a lot of communities are implementing uh, the men's discipleship strategy that we have at themanchurch.com. Uh, we got a, a conference coming up in Dothan uh, on uh, on February 19th and 20th. Steve Ferrar will be there, Rich Wingo, uh, Brody Kroll. I'll be speaking there. Uh, our own Chris Adler will be leading worship with his brother and some other musicians. That event is sold out. Uh, it's at Ridgecrest Baptist Church, but looking forward to seeing the men that will be attending. February the 26th, I'll be speaking at the Men of Valor event. They'll kick off the men's discipleship strategy. That's in Columbus, Mississippi. You'll find that uh, Fairview Baptist Church on February, February 26th. The very next night, I'll be in Montgomery, Alabama, at the Renaissance Hotel and Convention Center. Uh, this will be the Becoming uh, a Man of God event. They too will be uh, working you into themanchurch.com and our discipleship strategy. March 5th, uh, I'm invited to speak at the True Grip Men's Conference. That'll be in Gadston, Alabama, at Union uh, Number 3 Baptist Church. March 7th, uh, in, in Warrior, Alabama, Crossroads Baptist Church. They start the Men's Discipleship Strategy. I'll be there for their first man church. Then they'll roll into that 40-week curriculum of their choice. Uh, and Then on March 12th, I'll be doing the same thing in Op, Alabama, kicking them off into the Men's Discipleship Strategy, which features the The High Challenge, these are the man churches, are the events. Then they roll into the small groups doing our curriculum, which is the High Equipping. And we kind of put you into a never-ending cycle of High Challenge and High Equipping. And if you want to see some of those dates and be part of that, maybe your church would like to kind of see how it works and come to some of these things, or you as an individual man want to be there, you just simply go to BurgessMinistries.com, look at the upcoming events. You'll find them all listed there and others that will be happening later in the year. So if we come near you, Come on out and see us uh let's uh, let's do a prayer let's open up and dive into what God has for us today Lord Jesus we love you we we pray in your holy name uh, we we submit to your authority uh, Lord help us to understand uh, in this study the difference in knowing about you as opposed to knowing you as we draw ever closer to you today Lord and I pray that our hearts are prepared to hear what you have to say in your holy name we pray amen session seven today. Uh, of uh, This is based off the book uh, from J.I. Packer, Knowing God. I can't tell you how many uh, people that uh, that I know that this book was used by God to, to radically change their view. For a lot of them, it was the shift in their relationship, uh, understanding there's a difference. I've been taught a lot about God, but do I really know God? Uh, and what's my motivation for knowing about God? Is it to have right answers or is it to truly know God? And we also discovered... Through, through where we've already been, it's God's desire that we know him. So if we don't know him, it's not lack of availability on his part. It's probably lack of pursuit on our part. Uh, so to, what we're going to we've been talking about these different concepts. Last week, it was God incarnate. And today, I think it'll help it helped me, uh, preparing for this and walking through this, kind of changing our mindset on how we view the Bible. Uh, and when we're studying the Bible, sometimes the Bible... Kind of, kind of takes us into a, a new world. You know, a world that so many times, so many times we'll, we'll, you hear this a lot of times. We'll be talking about this world that we enter into, and J.I. Packer talks about that. It's a world where we meet Abraham and Moses and David uh, and and the rest, and we watch God dealing with them. We hear the prophets denouncing idolatry and threatening judgment upon sin. Uh, then we get into the New Testament, where we see the man of Galilee doing miracles, uh, arguing with the the, the the Jewish leadership, dying for sinners, rising from the dead, ascending to heaven. Then we get into reading letters from Christian teachers directed against uh, you know strange errors, which so far uh, as we know uh, do not now exist. We think, um, and, and it's all intensely interesting. But it all, and this is where we make a mistake. But sometimes when we don't look at the Bible correctly it can seem far away. It can seem like it belongs to another world that we are no longer living in. And that's a mistake. Uh, I have certainly been guilty of this, and, and there's, a, there's a great warning against this. That, but, but, but here's where, the wrong, where we have the, the link wrong. If we want to truly get into the Word of God with the pursuit of not just knowing about God and not not just knowing about these times in history, nothing wrong with that, but that can't be our only motivation We want to get into the word of God to truly know God. There's a link in the the Bible to where we are now that is unchangeable, and it's God. Now, the times may change, and cultures may change, but God has never changed, meaning you and I are pursuing to know the exact same God that Abraham knew. He hasn't changed. Nothing about him has changed. Uh, it is the exact same God that came to those disciples and said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. God has not changed. It doesn't matter how those men are dressed or what their occupation were or if they lived in an agricultural uh, agricultural culture and I live in an industrial culture. That doesn't really matter because God, uh, the God of the Bible has never changed, and we're going to really, really, really unpack that today. Uh, so remember that. So, so the, we don't want that sense of remoteness from the biblical experience of God. How, how do we overcome that? The, the sense of remoteness is an illusion. It comes from the adversary, and, and it springs from, from seeking, like I just said, the, long, the wrong link between our situation and that of various Bible people, people of biblical times. That's not the link. Our link isn't to them. Our link, our link isn't to the, the things that are going on. Now, did Jesus use these analogies that they understood? Of course he did. Would he probably use different analogies today if he were to come and call the 12 now? Yeah, because he'd be looking at a different culture. But he didn't change. He's not changing with any of this, and that's the part we have to get, and that kind of will take away that illusion of remoteness to what we're learning in the Bible about God versus God today. The correct link is it's all the same God. And, and I think if we can get that, the link is God Himself, uh, and that's where it is. And if you're if you're trying to do it any other way, you probably are easily led away. To you're missing an intimacy with God because if you don't watch it, and if I don't watch it, if I take on the wrong link, suddenly as distant as that time may seem to me, God will seem equally distant. Does that make sense? So so that's where we have to kind of change uh, our, our way of of thinking. We are not. Dealing with two different gods—the God of the Bible and then the God that I I have been redeemed by, or I have a relationship today—same God. So, so nothing's changed about that. So, let's let's take some of those concepts. I'm going I'm going to walk through six concepts, and if you have something to write on, let let's, let's write these down. Okay, concept number one: God's life does not change. Okay, uh, He is um, from uh, from all eternity. Psalms ninety Write that down. Here's what. Here's what the, the psalmist calls him, the eternal king. Uh, we have Jeremiah 10:10 10, 10, uh, refers to him as the immortal God. Paul, and um, you know, the very, very, I'll tell you one thing, it doesn't feel distant. So what distant I don't feel any distant between uh, is the culture of Romans chapter 1 and the one I'm living in now. So that one doesn't feel so distant. But anyway, in Romans chapter 1, verse 23, write that down. Paul said, Who alone is immortal. Uh, 1 Timothy 6.16, Paul writes to young Timothy, before the mountains were born, are you brought forth to this earth and and the world from everlasting to everlasting? You are God. Uh, The psalmist in Psalms 92 says, earth and heaven, uh, this is him, will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing, uh, and you might change them and they'll be discarded, but you, God, you remain the same and your years will never end. Underline that one. Psalms 90 and then read verse 2. I love that. Hey, all of us will be discarded. We'll change. Things will go away like old garments that wear out. But you, God, you are timeless. You remain the same. And then, of course, Isaiah 4812. Underline this. Isaiah 4812. God himself says, I am the first and I am the last. I'm the alpha, I'm the omega. And, of course, there's that wonderful place in Revelation chapter 1 when Jesus himself says to John that he is the alpha and the omega, once again saying that Jesus and God uh, are one. So how many of you, and and this is not a hard question. I don't want you to avoid this question because it's easy to answer based on all the verses we just talked about. Have you ever had a child or have you ever yourself had this question within who made God? I've heard this many times throughout life. I have to say that especially after I became redeemed, that that question and and I don't mean this because children it's different when a child asks that. But when an adult asks that, I, it's almost it seems silly to me because he's already said why that question is easily answered. Well, what, well, 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 there has to be a beginning. You're right, 100% right. He is. He's the beginning. He says, I'm I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm, I'm the beginning and the end. Well, where did it all start? Well, God said it started with him. Well, who made God? No one. He always has been. He's the beginning. So this is what we have to understand. That's why he's unchanging. That's why today is the same to him as when he's, you know, when Moses is standing by the burning bush, going, Hey, I don't have no idea what your name is. Who am I supposed to say is is sending me? And he says, I am. I have always been. I am who I am. I, I've always been here. Remember, remember Jesus when everybody started ripping their clothes and all that? How did you know Abraham? You're you're 30 years old. You're you're 33 years old. How do you know Abraham? Well, before Abraham, I I I am. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, here we go with all this. So when a child or anyone asks you who made God, the, the answer is, well, nobody made God because nothing began before God. He is the beginning. Everything flows from him. He created. He didn't have to be created. He creates, but he didn't have to be. He's not created. He is the beginning of all things. Now, it's mind-blowing, but that really is the answer. And, and, and this is the point that we're, that, that is being made uh, in the first um, uh, concept about the uh, the God of the Bible is the God of today, and 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 the, this God doesn't change. So, God did not need to be made, for He has always been there. He exists forever. He's always the same. He doesn't grow older. His life does not wax or wane. He does not gain new powers nor lose any he once had. Uh, he doesn't mature. He doesn't develop. Now, watch out for that one. Well, <laughs> we got to make that clear. Because we are living in a time right now, and the arrogance, and the arrogance of human beings that have decided of their own accord, there's no revelation about it, there's no scripture on it. They, of their own accord, they have decided that God needed to evolve. They've decided it. Well, isn't that a very lofty place to place yourself? Uh, yeah, God's standard of marriage has changed. Where, where did you get that? Well, I just believe He evolved. I mean, I just, you know, I just. I just observe, and it looks like to me that everything, he, he's, he's fine. That, that's not his standard anymore. But where, where's the revelation about that? Well, in myself, I've come up with that. So once again, here we are, a created being, looking at the creator, and we're going to tell him what we would prefer him to be. We'd like to see you evolve on this. We're not pleased with who you are. And and see, that, that's really, really problematic. That gets into some of this stuff that we've discussed where, where we start trying to it, it happened just just the other day, and, and I sadly have heard people say this that are standing up in places of authority, which is concerning. That somehow God is not enough when when we come into His presence. I, I mean, I hope we still get the bass fish. I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, I, 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 I hope I hope, uh, I hope I still get to go to ball games. Uh, I, I, I I I just I don't know. I mean. So, I mean, so we're just going to be worshiping and 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 awe of God and and His presence. So, you know, hey hey, look, if it's going to be heaven, then it's only heaven if it's the way I want it. What what kind of blasphemous statement is that? I, I mean, how about the way God designed heaven? I assure you, is better than what you can do. I assure you, this is a fallen creation. I, I, I give Bubba credit. Uh, uh, who is the, the co-host of the show, for those you may not know, and, and uh, my business partner, he and I were standing uh, at the Continental Divide. I'll never forget this. We, we were on snowmobiles, and we took our families up into uh, uh, the mountains of Colorado. And we're looking at the Continental Divide, and, I mean, it is majestic, baby. And then Bubba said it right, he said, and this is his throwaway. This has fallen. What you see now Look how incredible certain things are. But this is not even it. This is this this is going to be refined and tossed. Can you imagine the things that you experience when it's the way he intended it before we messed it up with our rebellion? And somehow you're thinking that if you don't get to, you know, go to the ball game or you're not going to get to go skiing or go down to the lake or go down to the, the, the beach or you're not going to get to do this and my doggy's not going to be there and and, and if those things aren't there, I just don't know that I'm going to like it. I'd be careful with that attitude. That's a dangerous attitude. God is enough. God is enough. And and because he has always been, and he is perfection in every way, and praise God, he's had grace on us. Thank you, Lord. Because you you are just fine without us. And I know this new theologies out there that somehow we make God better. No, he makes us better. And we certainly don't tell him what he is and isn't, and we think he needs to mature a little bit or evolve on some of these outdated issues. That is a blasphemous mindset. So this is what A.W. Pink said about it. He says he cannot change for the better, for he is already perfect. And being perfect, he cannot change for the worse. So the first fundamental difference between the creator and all of us created creatures is that um, we change, but he does it. He, he, he can never cease to be what he is. Do you understand that? That's the thing that I, I tried to explain before about repentance and, and salvation. I mean, have you have ever heard this before? I just don't understand why God didn't just say, okay, sorry y'all sinned, I'm God, I'm over it, let's move on. Well, see, because he can't cease being holy. He can't say, I think, I'll, I think I'm just going to not be as holy today. So I, y'all can just take sin ushered in here in front of me. I'll, I'll change who I am. No, his holiness and his perfection, it can't change. So he has to change us for us to come into his presence because he, uh, he cannot change the requirement that his holiness demands. That can't be changed. So, man, we should celebrate the fact that he realized the situation and resolved it for us. So we could come back into his presence. But I got news for you and I got news for me. We're not going to walk into the presence of a perfect holy God without the redemption of Jesus Christ because it can't be done any other way because he can't change who he is. But thank the Lord he provided it. It's like we, Now we got to be for that. Well, I don't know about this salvation plan. I don't like it. I'm kind of fired up about it because without it, I had no hope because he can't change who he is. So he said, I'll come take on human flesh, I'll figure out, like we talked about God incarnate, I'll take on 100% man while remaining 100% God, and I will resolve this issue so you then can be ushered back into my presence. But we don't make him more holy. He makes us more holy. We got this thing all out of whack. But be careful. Some of the modern-day hymns, good, gracious, you think God's singing about us. All right, so that's the number one one thing we got to talk about. God's life does not change. He doesn't change and we could have gone on and on with more scriptures. Um, I love this last one from the writer of Hebrews. Look, look at Hebrews chapter 7, and then look at uh, verse 16. I, I, I love this. This kind of sums this part up, and we'll move on. Who, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life? Let's talk about Jesus here. He says, God cannot be defeated because he has a life that's indestructible. It, it can't be defeated. So he's saying, look, when, when the, when the, when you remember, and Steve Farrar talks about this a lot, and he's so right. We have to understand that human beings can elevate ourselves to, to high places, but only he is the most high. There's high, then there's the most high. You know, and I was reading a, a a book just recently, and the guy makes a, a really good point. And he says, do you remember when the term used to be said about men? What, what was one of the greatest compliments you could ever be paid? By the way, listen, you don't hear it anymore. A God-fearing man. When's the last time you heard somebody be described as, tell me about this guy, when well, he's a God-fearing guy? That used to be what, what people hoped would be said about them. And nowadays, I don't think people say that because I don't like the way that sounds. So I want to walk around being God-fearing? Yeah. That'd be great. I mean, because I know that when I begin to fear God uh, and be in awe of God, that's when I came under conviction, and that's when I sought redemption because I understood, just like Job did through his suffering, hey, I thought I was in pretty good shape, but now that I know you this well, I despise myself. Uh, Paul talking about, you know, all this you've been breaking me down, I've now been ushered into your presence, and wow. Yeah, what does it say about the early Church of Acts? One of the characteristics of the early Church of Acts was they were constantly in all A-W-E of God. And I tell you, I think we've lost that. Not everywhere, but in a lot of places. When's the last time anybody that you heard referred to somebody as a God-fearing man? That's left our culture. It needs to come back. We need God-fearing men. All right, so the next thing, number two. So his life doesn't change, that's number one. Number two, God's character does not change. It doesn't change. He doesn't have a bad day. You know, God just wasn't himself today. He, uh, you heard what he said to so-and-so. I tell you, that's not the God we know. No, he doesn't, he doesn't change like we do. It can be any kind of shock. It can be anything that would normally alter the character of a person, but there is nothing that can alter the character of God in course of a human life, look, our taste on things that we like, our outlook on stuff, our temper uh, may change radically. Uh, you know, sometimes people turn bitter. Sometimes people, you know, grow cynical. I've certainly grown a little cynical, callous. Is this is, this a, is this a book about my problems? Right, anyway, but, but nothing of this happens to our Creator. It's our problem, but it ain't His problem. He never becomes what less truthful. Here's one I like to. He never becomes less merciful. It doesn't go, I know y'all thought I'd be merciful today, but I'm really not going to be. I've kind of changed. I've evolved. I don't, I'm not. Yeah, you ever thought about that? Everybody always thinks God should evolve to something they like better. What if he started evolving to something worse? Like, ah, I don't think I'll be merciful anymore. Wait a minute, I thought we could be saved. Nah, I changed my mind on that. No mercy, I'm out. Changed. I know I used to be merciful, I'm just not anymore. So his mercy never changes. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, his truth never changes. He's, uh, he's, he's as good and wonderful today as the psalmist says, taste of the Lord, and you will see that he is good. Well, how about this? That, that experience with God today is exactly as good as it was the first time anybody ever encountered him. Does that fire anybody up? The character of God today and always will be exactly what it was about what you read in the Bible. He didn't change. He's that same God right here today. Now let's look about this. So in Exodus three, this is in verse fourteen. If you want to underline that, we read how God announced His name to Moses, and I mentioned this a minute ago. "I am who I am," uh, a phrase of which Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord, is in effect a. a, It's a shortened form. In verse fifteen, the name, the name, I like. They get this. The name is not a description of God but simply a declaration of his self-existence and his eternal changelessness it's a reminder to mankind that he has life in himself he produces life and that uh, that what he is now he is eternally forever okay so when he says i am who i am that never ends his character never changes uh uh, our brother James, in a passage that deals with God's goodness and holiness and his generosity to men and his hostility to sin, speaks of God as this, and this is James 1.17, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So write that one down, James 1.17. James he's talking about all the things about God. You know what he says? There is no variation on this. There's no shadow due to change. No one ever says, you know what, I went to see God this week, and he's just, I don't know, man, he's changing. Let me tell you this. God is the only the only person in existence, the only force in existence, that we are okay with saying, you know, I found God to be merciful. And somebody says, you know, that's just the way he is. I found him to be truthful. That's just the way he is. I found him to be holy. You know, that's just the way he is. See, we start using that as an excuse for us when we do bad things. I know that I can't, uh, from time to time, I say I'm going to do something and I don't do it, but I mean, that's just the way I am. But see, what God says, no, let's, let's stop you being the way you are and let me turn you into the way I am. Right? Why do we use that as an excuse? God's the only one that could say it and it'd be a good thing. You know, that's just the way I am. Good. But when I say that's just the way I am, usually not good. Hey, look, look, I'm sorry I lost my coup today, but you know, every time I get in these situations, I lose my coup, and you know, that's just the way I am. Well, yeah, we don't want you to be that way. And God says, so don't be that way. Let me change you into the way I am. So, you know, and I've never understood that excuse anyway, especially when someone says you don't like somebody. Yeah, I don't like him, he's arrogant. Well, know yeah, that's just the way he is. Yeah, I know. That's why I don't like him. I don't want him to be that way. So, so so that's that's what that's what God says. I'm the only one that can say that's just the way I am and it'd be a good thing. But we can rest on that. Is he merciful? Yes. You think there's a time he will never be merciful? No. You go back to him and you repent, you have a sincere heart, and you say, Lord, I realize I keep messing this up. Forgive me. You know what he says? I'm merciful. I'm slow to anger. Doesn't mean he doesn't anger, but he's slow to. I'm patient. I'm holy. I'm loving. I'm merciful. I'm just, and we'll talk more about this as we move forward the study. So, all right, two things then. So we know, number one, God's life doesn't change. Number two, God's character doesn't change. Number three, God's truth does not change. Now, this one, the world doesn't like this one. What's true concerning God does not change, okay? Sometimes people say things they do not really mean simply because they either don't understand their own mind or because maybe their view changes, Uh, They frequently find that they can no longer stand behind things that they said in the past. I've had things that I used to believe in the past I don't believe anymore. I've had things that I used to really care about in the past I don't care about anymore. I have things that were true about me at one time that are not true about me now. Thank the Lord. Uh, But when it comes to God, he's not unstable like we are. He, He would never say, I was once this way, now I'm this way. He never has to say that. Because his truth doesn't change, they stand forever. He, he, as abidingly valid expressions of his mind and thought, no circumstances prompt him to recall anything about himself. No changes in his own thinking require him to amend them. God didn't have to amend anything. He gets it right. And if you ever want to know, Tony, Tony Evans said this, and I heard somebody else say it just yesterday. If you ever want to know the clearest truth about God, and how God sees something, the clearest look in Scripture when he addresses it for the first time. That's why marriage is so easy. Friend of ours, I mean, a friend of mine told me, it was such an epiphany one day, stop trying to defend God's standard of marriage so deep in the Bible. Go back to when he first established it in Genesis chapter 2. It's so clear when he establishes it in Genesis chapter 2, and then it never changes throughout the inerrant word of God. It never changed. You can't find anywhere where he comes off that standard. And he makes it so clear because he says in Genesis 2, everything has been created, including a male, and I find nothing that's already been created at this point, nothing that is the perfect helper, the perfect partner for man, a male. I've already created a male. I've already created animals, plants, all this stuff. None of this will do. So I will now go on record... I, God, who never gets it wrong, I will go on record. My truth stands today, and I will now create for man the perfect helper, my approved partner, and he made woman, and he never changed that standard. Never changes. Isaiah writes, all flesh is grass, and grass withers, but the word of our God will stand forever. He's not like grass. You say he's not like flowers. This if you ever want to see a fallen creation, go look at the beauty of a flower. How quick you come back and you're like, wow, it's ugly now. I didn't it, that, you, we have flowers that, that only stay beautiful for just a short period of time. Now, in that moment, it's like God saying, I, I, I create beautiful things, and then also you come back and it's turned brown, but this is fallen. You go out into the to, to a wooded area and you're like, oh, this is great, and then a briar cuts you. You know, you go out into this place and go, what? How beautiful. And then all of a sudden, mosquitoes start biting, and you're like, oh. So he's showing me a glimpse, but he's also reminding me this is not going to stand. So he's not like that. He's not like grass that withers. The word of our God will stand forever. That's Isaiah 40, uh, verses 6 through 8, if you want to write that down. Isaiah 40, 6 through 8. The psalmist says, your word, O Lord, is eternal, and it stands firm in the heavens all of your commands are true. There's that word all again. What do we say? Some of them are true, the ones I like. Have you ever noticed? Look, I'm, I'm, I'm the king of sinners, okay? Have you ever noticed? Isn't it so much more fun to talk about sins you don't struggle with? I mean, I enjoy that. I tell you that. Something's got to be done about that. God's not going to let that stand. And then somebody brings up one that God doesn't like that you do all the time, you're like, I'd rather not talk about that, that, that's what he's saying. All of his commands don't change. Not just some of them. All of them don't change. There's nothing he said that was true that is now not true. Everybody got that? So it it, it all your commands are true. You establish them to last forever. Psalms 119. If you want to find what I just said, look at verse 89, and then skip all the way to verse 151 uh, and 152. Psalms 119 is a very long psalm. So 89 and then 151 and 152. The word translated true here in the last verse carries with the idea of stability. It's a firm foundation. Your commandments, they're not shaky. They're They're not like, well, they may not, hey, this may not hold. When you see God's commandments, they're all true. They're all stable. They're all firm. They make all the sense in the world. They're completely right, and to be against them is you being wrong, not him being wrong. That's what it it means. When we read our Bibles, we need to remember that God still stands behind all the promises and demands. We like the promises, And, and there's nothing wrong with that. In my times of despair, my friends will say to me, and I'll say to them, my wife will say to me, and I'll say to her, my children will say to me, and I'll say to them, remember God's promises. They, 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 didn't, they didn't get turned off, but you know what I also have to remember? God's demands. Those we don't, get, we, don't get, we, don't stand, we don't get as loud about those. We like his promises. His demands, we're not that crazy about, but they stand. And statements of purpose, what matters and what doesn't, stands. Words of warning, they stand. I, I think about Jeremiah. I think it's in chapter 20, when, when, when God's really upset uh, with everybody. He's really upset. And Jeremiah never has good news, and everybody hates him. And he goes in, and he says, hey, man, he's bringing, he's bringing the Chaldeans. The Babylonians are coming down on us, and God has told me that he's doing it. He is bringing them against us. These evil people are coming against us because of our sin and rebellion against God. And he's telling us to get out of this city because they're going to come in this city and they're going to kill everybody in here or take you prisoner. If you'll go ahead and go out and surrender to them, we'll be prisoners, but we'll be alive. If you stay in here, anybody doesn't come out and surrender to them, they're going to kill everybody that's in here. They are to burn this place to the ground. And that was God's warning. If, if you'll come out and go ahead and s- submit to this punishment that I have to you, then you'll live. Now, you're going to be refined by it. I'm going to put you in prison. You're going to be prisoners. You're going to be slaves, and I'm going to refine you, but you won't be dead. Anybody, and I say this about sin, I use this as an analogy of sin, anybody who stays in this world of unrepented sin and says, I won't come out and be your bondservant, I won't come out and I won't be redeemed, I will not come and submit to your authority, you know what you're saying? So I'm going to stay in my sin and die with it. Because you know what? God says, you know, my warnings stand too. If you're unredeemed, you're going to die. I can't change who I am. It's a warning, but then there's a promise too. You know, if, if you don't like the warning, then love the promise. But these things do stand. They're addressed to New Testament believers. In the Old Testament, they're not relics of a bygone age, but an eternally valid revelation of the mind of God toward his people in all generations, so long as the world lasts. As our Lord himself told us in John 10, 35, write that down, John 10, 35, the scripture cannot be broken. Nothing can annul God's eternal truth. So his truth never changes. So let's go through it again. God's life does not change. God's character does not change. God's truth does not change. And what's next? God's ways do not change. God's ways do not change. He continues to act towards sinful men and women in the way that he does in the Bible story. story. He still shows his freedom and lordship by discriminating between sinners, causing some to hear the gospel while others sometimes don't. So the standard of repentance, it doesn't change. It's equally uh, afforded to all people. And some people reject this, some people receive this, but the result of your rejection of salvation and the rejection of him will result to the same to everyone who rejects. And those of us that repent and submit to his lordship, he also is consistent in saying, I accept that. The sincerity of your heart, the sincerity of your repentance, I will forgive it, my ways don't change. You know what that means? There's not some new way to be redeemed. You know, What does he set up in the Old Testament? He shows all the things that have to be done to atone for sin. That sets us up to see all the things that have to be done in the New Testament to atone for sin. Here's the good news. I've been pointing to the perfect lamb. Now we have one lamb. We have one sacrifice. And so my ways haven't changed. What I've done now is fulfilled it completely in the New Testament. I fulfilled a, a complete sacrifice for the sin because of the repentance that's required. I've now fulfilled it completely. And 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 myself, when I took on human flesh, and the second person of the Trinity, the Son, and you know what, the way that I required redemption has not changed throughout times, nor has it changed today. His ways don't change, and and so if you reject this one way, then it will be to your death. And if you repent and you submit to the authority of Christ, you'll be redeemed. He aims his his aims and his principles of action remain consistent. He does not at any time act out of character. Our ways, we know, are pathetically, I mean, just pathetically inconsistent to, to, to us, but not to God. God's ways are never inconsistent. So, hey, see, this is where you've got to watch out for universalism. Oh, God's not, he didn't require that anymore. His ways have changed. Everybody's going to heaven. Uh, I'm reading the scriptures, and I don't think the scriptures say that. Yeah, but he's changed his mind on that. His ways have changed. He, it, it's almost like you know we, how we laugh a lot of times. Now this is what we do, acting like that God's like us. I've seen this in my father. I tell this hilarious story that my father, that was to be feared, and and didn't talk. And if you played for my dad, and all these funny stories we've told, and I remember, and look, he's not the first person. We we talk about this all the time is how sometimes you look at your parents if you end up giving them grandchildren, and they're unrecognizable. Who is this person? I used to make the joke, are you now old people trying to get into heaven? Why are you treating my children the way you're treating them versus how you treated me? See, they're inconsistent in their ways. Uh, Running in the house at one time was bad. Now with these kids, it's okay. Well, see, that's not God. God doesn't do that where he says, you know, as I've gotten a little older, and time's passed, I just, you know what? This requirement of repentance, and I don't know. That's that's when I was younger, more harsh. Uh, I'm not as holy as I was then. I've gotten a little older, so I tell you what. I what's the harm in just letting them all come in? Now that's being preached out there right now, but it's not it's not biblical, nor is it true about God. Now the adversary who wants us to have a different view of God, now he loves that kind of stuff, but it is not biblical. So we know that God's life doesn't change. God's character doesn't change. God's truth doesn't change. God's ways do not change. The next one is that God's purposes do not change. Now, what do you mean by that? Listen to what Samuel said about him. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, declares Samuel, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. This is in 1 Samuel fifteen twenty nine. Uh, Balaam said this uh, uh, about uh, 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 the same thing. God is not a man that he should lie, nor nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? This is coming from Numbers twenty three nineteen. So repenting means revising one's judgment and changing one's plan of action. God never does this. He never needs to, for his plans are made on the basis of, of a complete knowledge and control which extends to all things, past, present, and future, so there can be no sudden emergencies or unexpected developments that take him by surprise. Man, we talk about this a lot, don't we, guys? We, we talk about this so much, about the purposes of God, they do not change. One of the things that we say consistently in the inner circle of the people that I interact with spiritually, any time there's some sort of calamity, Every single time we say this, because it's true, you think God was called, called by surprise on this? Oh, gosh, I don't know what happened over there. I don't really have any purpose for that. What happened? You know, I, I used to do this all the time. You know, did, did did an angel run into the throne room and say, you're not going to believe what's going on with Burgess? And God's like, I was I not paying attention? I have no purpose for this. I, didn't, I don't know what I'm going to do about this. There's just no purpose to what he's going through. No, that never happens. He's never caught off guard. I, I didn't see that coming. I thought he was going to get up today at uh, at 4.30. He's up at 3 a.m. I don't know what to do. What is he doing up? I I don't have any purpose for this. Well, he he woke up. He thinks you got something to say to him. I'm totally taking my guard off guard of this. I don't know what he's up doing. I have no idea. I have no purpose for this. Maybe he shouldn't have drank that second cup of coffee. No, that's not God. God's not up there. Everything that's going on, he has a purpose for it. and And his purposes do not change. He's not caught off guard. There's nothing that takes God by surprise. And we say that all the time. This didn't surprise God. So you just got diagnosed with cancer? That didn't surprise God. I know, it, I know it's scary, and I, I'm not saying it's its okay or you shouldn't care, because he cares, but there is a purpose for it. And every time people especially talk about suffering, and they'll say sometimes, well, I just didn't see any purpose in that, purpose in that and I'll say as gently as I can, well, then you missed it. Because there certainly was purpose for it. God wasn't caught off guard by it. Hey, I, 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 you know, my, my business, I, I, I got fired today. Did somebody run in and go, did you hear what happened to Larry? And God said, what are you talking about? Is it, isn't Larry at work? No, they just fired him. Really? Well, I don't know what to do with that. I have no purpose for it. That, that, that doesn't happen. That never happens. So if you can get your mind to understand that God's purposes do not change, when you get in these times of, of difficulty, calamity, Whatever it may be, when you get into these moments of uncertainty, if you'll just flip your mind, and I promise you this works. I promise you, because of who he is, is, not what I'm saying to you. I'm just telling you about him. If you'll flip your mind to what are you teaching me? What is your purpose in this? What are you trying to do with this, Lord? I don't want to miss it. And if you'll have that mindset, a weird calm comes over you. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean it's not difficult, but there's almost this calm that comes over you because you go, so God knows about this. Rick, are you trying to say he allows this kind of stuff? Yes, I am, because I believe he can stop it. Anybody want to debate me on that one? God can't stop it? So if he doesn't stop it, then he allows it, and if he allows it, there must be a purpose. And we see this throughout Scripture. What what does Paul say about the thorn that wouldn't be taken away? He didn't say God was taken off guard, taken by surprise or was caught off guard by this. He says he talked to him about it as if God didn't know. Hey, I have this thorn in my flesh, and now I'm being harassed by this demon. Hey, would you take this away from me, Lord? And the Lord said no. And then Paul says, and I know why, to keep me from being conceited. Paul was a pretty big deal. Paul had been taken up into the third heaven. He'd seen a vision. People had been healed by Paul. Paul was starting to pick up a lot of celebrity, and God said, oh, well, let me take you down here so you're so dependent on me. You you need to be a little weaker. So I'm going to let this thorn in your flesh keep reminding you about the grace I showed you. You remember the stuff you did before I came along? Oh, you're right. And then Paul gets into 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10 and says, only thing that's good about me is your grace, but it won't be in vain. See, Paul learned the lesson. He learned the lesson that he'd been afforded grace. And what kept reminding him about that? His suffering. Because God kept him in check. There was a purpose for it. It wasn't random. Well, Paul's going through a lot of stuff down there. Does he not have enough faith? I don't know. I, I forgot about Paul. I'm over here concentrating on the other guys. What's going on with Paul? He's in a lot of trouble down here. No, God knows that. He, he, he was in charge of it the whole way. He's shipwrecked. What? No, God's like, I know. I, I, wrecked, I wrecked the ship. Watch what he's going to learn through all this. My goodness, Lord, he, he tried to get firewood for everybody. Now he's been bit by a snake. I know, but watch this. I'll put the snake there. That's why some of these worship songs you have now about mountains being moved and all this kind of stuff, you need somebody in the song to let you know, God put the mountain there. Now, he might move it, but you need to also realize he put it there. Right? See, this is, be careful of making God something you want him to be. You, you need to worship who he actually is because he doesn't change. So his purposes don't change. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever the purpose of his heart through all generations. Write down Psalms 3311. Psalms 3311. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Okay? So think about this. If you look at other scriptures, you'll see that there's no change in his eternal purpose I mean, it it begins to deal with with each person in a way that is accomplishing something. I mean, and you see this with people throughout Scripture, but remember what I said to begin with, and the way he dealt with these people in Scripture and the way he's working out his purpose, he didn't just stop doing that when we came along. I know that. See, be careful about the Bible. When you you think about these men of the Bible, and that's the second curriculum that we, we are doing. It'll come out in March at themanchurch.com. The first one we, we've done is the pursuit of Christ-centered masculinity. So that's perfection. The second one, we take eight men of the Bible, and guess what we do with that one? Here's the things they did right. Here's the things they did wrong. And here's what you got to understand. They were just eight men who were made. The things they did that were right, they were made right by God. They glorified God. The only thing good about these eight guys is God. matter of fact, if you look, when they stepped away from him, they weren't very good at all. Well, that didn't change. Yeah, yeah, God is dealing with you just like he dealt with Abraham. When he said, hey, I want you to take this son that I promised you, I want you to go sacrifice him to me. Well, hey, he wouldn't do that to me. Yeah, he might. Why would he do that? Well, because he's He's going to test you just like he did Abraham. Well, but that's Abraham. That doesn't matter. That's just name. It's a name. It's, the only thing good about Abraham was the fact that he had a, a saving faith because he did whatever God told him to do. But he's just a man. So, so, the same God that dealt with Abraham is dealing with you. And he has purposes for what he's doing. He didn't become chaotic in the new millennium. So, keep that in mind. So, we know that, that God's life doesn't change. We know that his character doesn't change. We know his truth doesn't change. His ways don't change. His purposes don't change. And how about this? And we'll end with this God's Son doesn't change. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Jesus Christ. Is the same yesterday and today and forever, says the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13, verse 8. Hebrews 13, verse 8. Describing Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why is that important? Because these characteristics are also of his father. And his touch still has its ancient power. It still remains true that he is able to, to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them, or I like to say for us. The writer of Hebrews, again, that's chapter 7, verse 25. Write that down, Hebrews 7, 25. He's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He never changes the fact is the strong consolation of all God's people. Rick, what do you mean by that? i tell you what I mean by that. You're not going to repent of your sin and turn to Jesus and say, I confess you as Lord and I believe that your father rose you from the dead on the third day and I ask that you forgive me and redeem me and make me fully righteous so I can stand before your father. And Jesus goes, well, I don't really do that anymore. I kind of lost my power. It's been a long time. You know, I went to the cross over 2,000 years ago. I appreciate your sentiment, and it's kind of you to come do all that, but I'm just not able to redeem people anymore. You ever, you ever think like that? You ever think you're unredeemable? I have been there. But that's not true. It is not true. Jesus Christ can redeem you today, no matter how awful you are or whatever has happened, just like he redeemed awful people since we fell in the garden. He's been redeeming people for a long time, and he hadn't stopped. He's unchanging. The same redemption that was available to everybody that you read about in these historical documents in the Bible, that redemption is available to you. And the power of Jesus to redeem has not wavered one ounce. And it's available to you. It's available to you. It won't be denied to you if you're sincere in your heart and you repent. So, God's life doesn't change. God's character doesn't change. God's truth doesn't change. God's ways do not change. God's purposes do not change. And God's son does not change. So where is the sense of distance and difference then between believers in Bible times and ourselves? Well, it's completely been excluded. It's gone. And you may say, on what grounds? On what grounds, I would say, I'll tell you what grounds? That God doesn't change. So any distance between them and us is gone because it's the same God. If our God is the same as the God of the New Testament believers, then how can we justify ourselves resting content with an experience of communion with him, and a level of Christian conduct that falls so far below theirs. Why do we think that we live under a lower standard than them? We don't, because God has never changed. The power he gave them is available to us, and the standard he called them to, he calls us to, because he's never changed. If God is the same, then this is not an issue that any of us can evade. Well, I mean, what he said to them is not what he said to us. What we saw happening when the Holy Spirit was handed out on on these men that were once afraid and wanted nothing to do with God, I mean, that power is not available to me. Oh, yes, it is. It is. We've said this a lot of years in here. If you have not been radically changed By God, it's not because of his inability to do it. So it's got to be a problem with you and a problem with me. It's no problem with him. He hasn't changed. So if God hasn't changed you and he hasn't changed me, the issue is, is, is you and me. It's not on him. He's ready to radically change any of us who are willing to be changed. I hope that's something that you need to hear today, that God has never changed. The same God of the Bible is standing available to you right now. So why don't you access it? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this reminder. You are really something. You always have been. You are the beginning. You are the end. And just last night was presented the visual in Revelation chapter 1, of how John said, when I realized all the things that you, God, were, and he's sitting there looking at Jesus himself, and he says, I just fell to, my, I just fell to the ground because I was so in awe of you. And for you to be that incredible, but then to walk over to John as you do to us and place your hand on his shoulder and reassure him that you got this, that wonderful reminder that, that you win. And if we're with you, then, then we're going to be all right. No matter what happens to this world, no matter what happens on this never-ending news cycle that screams, no hope, no hope, no hope. But your voice deafens the no hope by saying hope, peace, redemption, mercy. It's available. And as long as you're with me, you've said it, Lord. Everything really is going to be all right because you have never changed, and you are reliable. You are a firm foundation. Maybe somebody needs to hear that today, Lord. I don't know who it is. I know I I needed to hear it. I pray, Lord, that you'll draw them to you, that they will repent of their sins and remember that you haven't stopped forgiving people. Your demands haven't changed, but the redemption is available to meet every demand in your son Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen. If I can help you in any way, Rick at rickandbubba.com. Thanks for being with us.